Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 31st episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I am finally, finally free of the rattle in my Mazda 3 hatchback that had been driving me insane for the past year and a half. Uh, after battling with my insurance company to get them to cover the damage incurred by a coyote strike last February, that was repaired improperly at a shop that they sent me to. I finally took the car by Mazda this morning, and they had it all sorted out in less than two hours. Turns out the mangy beast knocked my power steering pump off its mounts and took out the rubber bushings, and it was shaking against its bracket. I know dealerships or stealerships have a rotten reputation for overcharging for services, and Mazda's shop rate is something like $140 an hour, which is not low, but to their credit, they knew where to look for the problem, identified it, and solved it quickly and relatively economically. And it's really hard to argue with that sort of effectiveness. Uh, but you didn't come here to discuss the fine points of auto mechanic choices. You came to hear about cars, and we have a packed show for you today. Here are your top stories. You may recall back in April, uh, several Tesla employees filed complaints with the National Labor Relations Bureau about poor working conditions, uh, surveillance, and restrictive confidentiality agreements. Then, when workers threatened to unionize to preserve their rights, Tesla was accused of illegal coercion and scare tactics. All not great things that Tesla denied and hoped would sort of blow over. Uh, well, it, it didn't so much blow over as just sort of blow down the road a little bit because the NLRB filed a complaint this week alleging that Tesla has violated the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, Tesla fired back after the filing, calling, that the, calling out the United Auto Workers Union, who have had their own share of issues recently, obviously, uh, blaming the UAW for this filing because they were so butt-sore after Tesla employees voted against membership. Tesla also stated that the claims were without merit and that they were going to fight tooth and nail when their hearing comes up September 14th, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Tesla was also beaten to the punch this weekend by Cummins, of all companies, who debuted their AOS all-electric semi-cab. Uh, previously exclusively known as the large diesel engine manufacturer that backwards hat-wearing bro-dozer drivers love because they help them roll coal through Midwestern suburbs, Cummins sees the writing on the wall for these big diesel trucks and are climbing aboard the electric bandwagon. This uh, first foray is a short-distance city hauler uh, with a range of about 100 miles, which exceeds the usual duties for urban tractor-trailers, but obviously won't replace the trucks meant for long-hauling. Uh, uh, the EOS does, however, have the option of three additional battery packs and a gas-powered generator to extend its range for longer applications, which makes for a neat sort of modular platform. Uh, Tesla's electric truck, meanwhile, is expected to debut later this year, uh, but now it has a bar uh, for it to try to leap over. Uh, in other news, for some reason this week, automakers have been doing their best Oprah impression, like electric, 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 
Electric. 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 Aston Martin last week said that the company will have 100% hybrid or electric vehicles by the mid-2020s. BMW said yesterday that they would have 12 all-electric vehicles by 2025, in addition to 13 hybrid models. Um, And that was before the i5, a mid-range electric vehicle slotting in between the i3 and the i8, was leaked ahead of its unveiling at the Frankfurt Motor Show next week. They also said that in just three years' time, every vehicle in their lineup will have a hybrid option available. Jaguar Land Rover set themselves probably the most ambitious schedule, aiming to have every new vehicle produced after 2020 electrified in some way, either being a mild hybrid, plug-in, or all-EV. Of course, uh, this comes being despite the fact that they have none of those available for sale right now and are only trialing mild hybrid models with their first EV, the I-PACE crossover, going on sale sometime next year. Even Lincoln, desperate to shake its stodgy old image, is aiming to have every vehicle they sell be electrified in some form or fashion by 2022. This is apparently part of a broader Ford program to offer at least 18 new electric hybrid models, uh, electric and hybrid models by 2022. And since Lincoln is their luxury brand, it makes sense to focus the more expensive features on that demographic. Plus, imagine how softly Matthew McConaughey can mumble in commercials without having to speak over the purr of his MKZ's gas motor. Finally, today, Mazda, which has gone out of its way to shit on electric cars while debuting their very own and very impressive internal combustion engine technology, announced that they too would be all electrified in some form by 2035. Sure, that's 18 years from now, which is quite a ways away, but uh, far earlier than you might have expected given their recent attitude towards electric vehicles. Between these announcements and government actions moving to ban sales of diesel and gas-powered cars by sometime in the mid-century, electric vehicles are certainly being both pushed and pulled into the marketplace. And As of right now, though, those vehicles aren't finding homes with many buyers. Part of this comes down to vehicle features, cost, and and range anxiety, but another aspect that I don't think is discussed enough is infrastructure. I mentioned this a few weeks ago that that Volt guy in my parking garage who plugs in at work instead of at home because he doesn't have a garage of his own, which is a common problem in cities, uh, without a massive infrastructure development program to expand wired fast-charging or wireless charging along the roads, uh, which itself would require some level of vehicle standardization that is yet inexistent, uh, it's it's going to be a continuous struggle to move electrical vehicles. Uh, That being said, if Aston Martin would like me to beta test any of their electric cars for them, I've got a garage, I've got a long commute, there's a handy contact form on my website. You are welcome to fill it out, chaps. Uh, Finally, in top stories this week, it's a rare occasion when motorcycle news appears as a top story, but it's also not every day that Harley-Davidson kills off a 25-year running model and replaces it with not one or two, but 13 new bikes. Uh, Out is the Dyna, which was seriously (laughs) starting to show its age in a time when new Indian bikes and cruisers from other manufacturers like Triumph are absolutely eating its dinner. 
Uh, coming in are five new touring bikes and eight new cruisers. In terms of what's new on these bikes, Harley-Davidson product portfolio manager Paul James said, new frame, new chassis, new suspension, new metal, new everything, really. Uh, which is a refreshing change of tune from a company that desperately needs uh, to update their products to attract a younger demographic or risk dying off along with the popularity of motorcycling. Uh, the new bikes will be uh, lighter, they'll be more powerful, better handling, and not to mention better looking than their outgoing peers. Uh, the VP of Styling and Design, Brad Richards, uh, described the process of coming up with the new bikes, saying that form follows function, but that both report to emotion, which I think is a great way to describe their approach. Harleys, uh, for, for Harley riders at least, have, have a certain untouchable quality that make them different and special for riders. Uh, a certain je ne sais quoi, though, if a Harley rider was spotted using French, they'd probably be kicked out of the club. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it's important for the company not to lose the, the soul of their machines, and they're really stuck between not being able to change their bikes much for fear of losing their core audience and having to change them in order to attract new buyers as ridership drops for motorcycling across the board. I mean, I, I've never been a Harley guy, Hell, I'm barely a Triumph guy anymore. The last time I got on my bike was a couple of months ago. Uh, and these new Harley rider, Harley models aren't, aren't the type of thing that, that really have me chomping at the bit to go swing a leg over and go cruising. Uh, hopefully it works for them, though, because it'd be damn shame to lose uh, such a historic motoring brand. Uh, now uh, for some quick hits. While many will argue that today's drivers aren't focused enough on the road, forthcoming autonomous tech will mean that it'll be totally okay to not focus on the road, and it's suddenly occurring to auto manufacturers and entertainment ex executives that, hey, we should be giving passengers something else to focus on if they don't have to drive. An Ernst & Young report indicates that in-car entertainment could become a $20 billion industry annually as drivers become not drivers. A Paramount Pictures executive stated that windshields and windows provided perfect screens for entertaining and posed an exciting opportunity for in-car entertainment. As autonomous cars do the driving, traffic will get better and commutes will get shorter, so this could have the unintended consequence of greater urban sprawl, just so people can get a full episode of Desperate Housewives in on their drive-in to work. Another company involved in in-car entertainment earlier this year, Samsung, purchased Harman, maker of many car stereos and entertainment interfaces. The news came out this week that Samsung has also been cleared to start testing autonomous vehicles in California, a few months after Apple received the same approval and after Samsung received uh, the approval themselves to test in South Korea. There's no shortage of tech companies working on various types of autonomous uh, gear, but Samsung has been clear that they don't intend to start building their own cars. What they aren't clear about is what exactly they are doing. In fact, when asked about their progress, they issued a statement saying that they were only working, quote, in pursuit of a smarter, safer transportation future, quote, which is a bit obvious. If they were working on a dumber, more dangerous transportation future, they'd just be every other person on the road. 
Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi certainly had his work cut out for him when he accepted the job, but he may not have been expecting a preliminary investigation into whether or not the company violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. While we don't have too much information on the exact details, it sure sounds like Uber's in trouble for bribing foreign officials. Rather than take the old CEO's tactic and respond with something like, yeah, but who hasn't bribed someone in Vietnam before? Khosrowshahi is staying mum on the topic for now. His problem is he doesn't really have any executives to help him respond to the problem since they all up and quit. Good luck, Dara. Back when Infinity abandoned the naming convention we all knew and loved and could keep track of in favor of Q or QX everything with numbers that didn't follow sizes or correspond to engine output, everyone collectively threw up their arms and gave up hope of remembering which car had which name. Everyone, that is, except Audi, who is too busy figuring out how to one-up their Japanese counterparts. A year or more later, here we are and Audi have announced their own new naming convention. While the individual model names like A3, A7, Q5, TT, R8, and so will go on and remain the same, the individual trim levels will now receive two digits that designate the car's power output. Okay, you say, so that means 3.2 will mean it has a 3.2-liter six-cylinder engine then, right? Not so fast, the Germans say. Numbering will be from 30 to 70, with five-digit increments that correspond to different kilowatt outputs because that's how nobody actually measures power output in cars. Even electric vehicles are converted to horsepower for comparison's sake. And it's not like an Audi A6 55 model will make 55 kilowatts of power. No, it makes anywhere between 245 and 275 kilowatts. Anything labeled 70 makes at least 400 kilowatts, but it could be anywhere higher than that. It's not April 1st, so we can't really take this as a joke, but we clearly have to accept that automakers are just starting to troll their buyers, trying to make us feel stupid with some sort of calculus shit that we don't get, when they themselves probably don't get it either. Even though we're about three quarters of the way through the year, we've just gotten a list of the best-selling cars for the first half of this year, and the list probably won't surprise you too much. Topping the list, as ever, is the Ford F-Series, which includes the F-150, 250, and so on. Following the pickup is the Toyota Corolla, the Volkswagen Golf, Nissan Rogue, ugh, Honda Civic, and Toyota RAV4. The list's biggest loser was the Hyundai Elantra, whose sales fell about 20% versus last year. It's still in 16th place, but probably won't hang about there too long without a refresh. The biggest champion on the list was the Volkswagen Tiguan, which saw a sales growth of more than 48% over the first half of last year. This is certainly helped by the fact that there is a new model out, which is being sold alongside the old model, and probably because people only want to buy crossovers. Mitsubishi this week announced a couple of changes to the 2018 Mitsubishi Mirage, which include a 7-inch in-dash entertainment screen and a center armrest which, despite their best efforts, do not save the car from being a miserable piece of shit. Uh, that's all on that car. Uh, after Porsche and Audi's exit from the LMP1 class, the World Endurance Championship has announced some sweeping changes to avoid anyone else dropping out and even hoping to attract some new teams. Changes include a shorter schedule that will run over the winter rather than over the summer, and changes to the LMP1 class, which has been hemorrhaging teams. 
fewer races and more liberal regulations on engine choices for privateers and manufacturers should help reduce costs significantly, but Toyota, the last remaining LMP1 team, still has yet to decide if they're going to participate next year. It also looks like Bahrain, Silverstone, Mexico, and the Circuit of the Americas in Austin are off the schedule, which is a huge blow to these tracks and those fans. However, the season will now end with the race at Le Mans. World Endurance Championship officials stated that while most fans started tuning out of the series after Le Mans anyway, which is a polite way of saying this is all your fault. At the Goodwood Festival of Speed a couple of weeks ago, we got a glimpse at what life is like as an ultra-rich person with a display from Rolls-Royce detailing their buying process. For most luxury cars, your color choices consist of black, white, silver, gray, and sometimes red or blue. When you buy a Rolls-Royce, though, you can select from 44,000 individual color shades and then combine them for your very own two-tone look. Not only that, they have specialized lamps that will imitate the exact color rendering index of the sun and sky exactly where you live so you can see how the colors will look in your driveway while also being in the showroom. The thing is, however, this isn't available to the poor schmucks dropping only three to 400000 on rollers, though. To get the bespoke colors and treatment for a vehicle completely customized to you, you're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of $12 million, which, if I were remotely capable of spending that much on a car, I'd want to know exactly how it looks in my driveway, too. In other European stuff news, buying a car in Denmark is about to become a whole hell of a lot cheaper now that the government has decided to slash taxes on new car sales to just 100%. Hey, but that's still insane, you say. Yes, but it was even more insane when it was 180% before the government decided to cut it. An economist told Bloomberg this week that even after the cuts, Denmark will be one of the most expensive places to buy cars, and that even though the country is one of the wealthiest in the world, it's unfair that Danes have to drive worse cars than their neighbors in Sweden and Germany. Well, life isn't fair, Simon, but the vehicle tax is actually super unfair and a holdover from the oil crisis of the 1970s, so it's idiotic it's taken this long even to bring this cut to the table and that it doesn't go further. Oh well, just... Buy your cars in France. Ford announced this week that they've partnered with Domino's to test consumers' reaction to having their pizzas delivered by self-driving cars. The test will take place throughout Ford's home territory of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and are just the start of Ford's foray into autonomous partnerships. For this test, though, the cars won't be completely autonomous, since Ford engineers and others studying the car will ride along no doubt prompting some master's degree holders working for the Blue Oval to question the life choices that led to them babysitting a pizza delivery vehicle. Chances are, if you're getting directions somewhere, you're using Google Maps because Apple Maps is complete bullshit, as I quickly discovered on my work phone during my tour de northern Indiana. Well, Google has just baked in a new feature whereby it'll help you determine what parking looks like at your destination. On Android devices, there's even a new Find Parking feature that will direct you to open spots nearby. It's not available on iPhones yet, but FaceTime isn't available on Android either. I'd rather be able to find parking than be subjected to live video of family members, though, so I guess my Galaxy S7 still wins. Out to prove that, yes, they will come up with a rating for everything someone is willing to pay to feature an award for, J.D. Power has released the results of its study on the best car seats 
with the Ford Escape and Ford Edge, Audi A3, Chevy Cruze, Kia Cadenza, Porsche Cayenne, and Toyota Tundra, all receiving top marks for tushies in their respective classes. Having owned a G35 Coupe, which has seats to make a chiropractor unemployed, and also driven a Subaru Forester, which could easily pass for the world's least supportive beanbag chair, I certainly appreciate quality space for your own rear end, but providing an award for such a thing really seems truly excessive. 77 miles per hour may not seem very fast, and some of us may even reach that velocity on our daily commutes, traffic permitting, but when you're on a 50cc scooter, it probably feels like the bloody speed of sound, which is probably why it's a feat that has never been accomplished. Before this week, that is. Pirelli partnered with Benelli scooters tuned by Malosi in a very Italian-sounding collaboration to send the Benelli 491 scooter to 77 miles per hour on the Bonneville Salt Flats. They also recorded new speed records for 85cc and 100cc scooters, which reached top speeds of 82 and 88, respectively. The new speed records were apparently part of a marketing stunt for Pirelli, who debuted their new scooter tires called the Diablo Rosos, which is a neat idea, but if I were going 88 on a tiny Italian scooter, I'd probably end up with a case of pantaloni marroni. It's Italian, look it up. Subaru has been on a real sales hot streak this year, with sales up about 9%, while the rest of the car market struggles to break even with last year. Since they can't take credit for their wide range of vehicles, the company is chalking their success up, at least in part, to their advertising campaigns. I'm sure we've all seen the Subaru ads where some crunchy-looking white people are going hiking after parking their car, their Outback or Forester at a trailhead, but look closer. Almost all of their ads prominently feature dogs as part of the families owning those Subarus. This, they think, is the key. As about 68% of U.S. households having dogs as pets, that's a huge market to appeal to, even though Subaru admits they are a niche product. So, while Chevy and BMW continue to advertise at the Super Bowl, you can continue to look for Subaru ads during the Puppy Bowl, because they know they have you dog lovers right where they want you. Now, if only they'd improve their terrible, horrible seats. Now, in a rare piece of actual consumer advice, uh, Nissan of New Rochelle, New York, was forced to refund nearly a quarter of a million dollars to 300 customers last month after it was discovered scamming buyers of new cars out of VIN etching fees. Uh, VIN number etching itself isn't a scam, though. It's where dealers actually do etch your car's VIN number into parts like windows to make the car less appealing to criminals who can't easily sell off the parts when they belong to a stolen car, as made clear by your VIN etching. The problem comes when Nissan of New Rochelle charged customers for it without asking, then frequently didn't even bother doing the etching, basically defrauding buyers out of thousands of dollars over a few years. While this isn't necessarily interesting or funny, it's worth noting to just always check your invoices for line items and then to follow up to make sure you got what you promised and, and what you paid for. Be smart consumers and don't give shady dealers a chance to take you for a ride. The new Nissan Leaf, the actual people's electric car, debuted this week. And, 
it, it's fine. It it really is. No, it's not going to compete with the Tesla Model 3 or the Chevy Bolt, but that's aiming too high for what the car is. Nissan has carved out a nice niche for themselves with people who want a solid commuter car that takes them from A to B, as long as both A and B are not very far apart. With the new model, A and B can be up to 75 miles apart before you uh, reach the maximum 150-mile range of the car. Output has also improved to almost 150 horsepower from a new 40-kilowatt battery. It also features an e-pedal setup that is offered as standard equipment and allows drivers to basically use one pedal for uh, 90% of the driving as the car will regeneratively decelerate whenever the e-pedal isn't pushed. The interior is much nicer than the first generation with a large central screen a la Model 3, uh, but actual buttons unlike the Model 3. Uh, it looks quite like a nice place to be when driving or having the car do a little bit of driving for you. And to that point, the new Leaf will feature Nissan's ProPilot system, which will keep the car within single lanes on single lane highways, provided it's not raining, the lines are easy to see, and you keep both your hands on the wheel, all of which seems like y you may not be using the ProPilot very much. Uh, starting at under thirty grand, though, it's less than either the Bolt or the Model 3, so I would expect to see a lot more of these things on the road starting early next year when they go on sale. Uh, it's another week, which means there's yet another electric vehicle startup trying to become the next Tesla, which itself is trying to become the next General Motors, which itself is doing its best not to become the next Fiat Chrysler. Coming from new British manufacturer called Allcraft, the GT is not a grand tourer, but rather a shooting brake at a really stunning-looking two-door wagon that the company hopes to get on roads by 2019. It's Really a brilliant looking car and seats four, but will still do zero to 60 in three and a half seconds thanks to three electric motors turning all four wheels with 600 horsepower and a whopping 840 foot-pounds of torque. To help make the car a reality, and stop me if you've heard this before, they're crowdfunding the development, offering a sort of Kickstarter way to buy in. Individuals can give between 10 bucks and 32,000 bucks in exchange for various prizes ranging from electric bikes to watches to just a smug sense of satisfaction that you helped be part of the solution. The BMW i3 never really took off with buyers for a lot of reasons. It's too small, its range isn't great, the power is poor, the seating is cramped, and the interior is nothing really special. So BMW has done what every car maker does when the model underperforms. No, they haven't killed it off. They've released a sport version. The i3S has 184 horsepower and will hit 100 miles an hour instead of just 93. It comes complete with new styling tweaks that take the aggression up to 11. So if you're looking for a way to go fewer than 100 miles while looking sporty in an economical sort of way, there's a new option for you that you still probably shouldn't consider. Uh, Bentley unveiled their new generation of their Continental GT this week, uh, which is longer and wider than the outgoing model, but otherwise looks a lot like what we were getting before. It's also lighter than the previous model by 200 pounds, but since it still weighs just shy of 5,000 pounds, that's like saying you didn't eat the entire large pizza because you left the crust of one of the slices. 
It's still powered by a W12 engine, which is now paired with an 8-speed dual-clutch transmission that speeds the Heavy Beast to 60 in about 3.5 seconds, which is damn quick. With almost 700 horsepower, though, it really should be. On the inside, changes were made where it really counts since the Continental is a car to drive rather than be driven in. Uh, it sports a massive central screen that integrates all controls, a lot like Tesla's central console does. Uh, the whole interior looks fantastic, though, and it's undoubtedly a really nice place to be. Not that I'll probably ever have the opportunity, but hey, who knows who's listening? Hint, Bentley, hint. Uh, in obituaries this week, uh, a week after killing off the, the much-loved Dinah that I talked about early, earlier, Harley-Davidson is erecting another tombstone, this time belonging to the VRSC, often called the V-Rod. Uh, for those who know bikes, you'll know that Harleys have a reputation for being long, low, and above all, slow, but the V-Rod violated that perception with a respectable speed and the sleek styling to match it. Uh, I've never been a huge Harley fan, as I mentioned earlier, but I always found myself craning to look at V-Rods whenever I saw them on the road. Uh, with Harley's new range of bikes, I guess there is no room for the high-performance VRSC, or they could be gearing up for a next generation of performance bike, and let's hope it's the latter. Uh, I know I mentioned last week uh, I was working on a deep dive on uh, cars and China's role in, in the car market, and uh, there have been a lot more stories this week, and I want to make sure I give you a complete look at that. So I'm going to wait until next week when I have time to really write a, a good story. Plus, we're running kind of long today. Uh, for this week's call to action, so it's it's a simple request. Just, just don't be shitty to one another. <laughs> I've been dealing with insurance companies a lot recently, from $1,000 bills for physical therapy because I have a penchant for falling and injuring myself to fighting with car insurance to have them pay for a repair their selected shop screwed up in the first place. It certainly seems like I've had to put up with a lot of shit, just trying to live a normal life. Meanwhile, in Florida, people are having a lot shittier deal. Uh, it's hitting the fan as insurance companies have apparently been refusing to issue new policies to buyers of new cars in the run-up to Hurricane Irma, which is set to make landfall in Florida this weekend. Uh, estimates are now suggesting Hurricane Harvey totaled more than one million Houstonians' cars, Rather than continue to do business and risk losing money because of a disaster, Allstate and others are claiming that living in Florida is apparently a pre-existing condition and they're refusing to grant policies to new buyers there. Uh, we have to remember it's illegal to drive without insurance, so these people are having to find other companies with potentially higher rates or, or just forego it and drive dirty. More than most, I understand that Businesses exist to make money, not to do the right thing. And in the case of insurance companies, it sure seems like they absolutely try to screw you at every turn. So with many insurance companies, among other things, just out there to screw us, the least we can do is treat our fellow people right and not be as shitty to them as the rest of the world is. And that's it. So with that, I'll, I'll thank you for listening. Thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I've been thinking a lot about the De Tommaso Pantera since watching one of Petrolicious's always excellent feature videos on the Italian sports car. Uh, thus, I will leave you with the screaming sound of American muscle as piped through Italian metal. I'll see you all back here next week. Here is your moment of zen. Roberto
Vy posíľujú Čankomu z najlepšej Jozefa Vichla.